Good evening and happy Wednesday. This is a single mom of purpose. I'm coming back to continue our discussion on discipleship. And if you have been listening, you know I've been sharing out of the book of uh, Max Anders, which is titled New Christian's Handbook, Everything Believers Need to Know. Uh, this episode is going to be brought to you by Kingdom Girls Ministries. And tonight I'm going to be sharing chapter 18, chapter 19, and chapter 20. And each of these chapters is going to be talking about the church, okay? So chapter 18, the title is, What is the Church? Okay, so if you've been listening to, excuse me, the book discussion, you know before each chapter, it gives us a chapter at a glance. Uh, So for chapter 18, we have five bullet points, and it is the church is like a body, the church is like a building, the church is like a bride, the church is universal, and the church is local. Okay, so let's go ahead and get started, but the church is like a body. The Apostle Paul's favorite picture for the church was the body. It is a word picture for the fact that Christians on earth are the hands, feet, and tongue of Christ, that we are to labor, travel, and speak as Christ would if he were in our shoes. Jesus is the head of the body, and each of us make up our part of his spiritual body on earth. We each have different functions, different abilities, different callings, and different locations. Romans 12, 4 through 5 reads, Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we are many, we are many, form one body. Wait, we who are many form one body, excuse me, and each member belongs to all the others. Okay? We do not become the body. When we agree to work together in harmony, we are automatically the body, regardless of whether or not we work together in unity. The, the question is only whether we will be a healthy body or an unhealthy one. We are not a member of the body when we decide to join a local church. If we are Christians, we are already members of the body. We are not added to the body or subtracted from the body by our choice. If we belong to Christ, we are members and we belong to each other because we are all in Christ. Okay. Okay. Continuing. If Christians ever came to understand and appreciate that truth, it would make us more tolerant of those who are different and more aware of our need for others with diverse abilities. Just as a human body could not function if all its members were the same, so the body of Christ could not function if we are all the same. Okay? And it says the Bible gives three different pictures of the church. The church is a body, Romans 12, 4 through 5. The church is a building, Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. And the church is a bride, Revelations 19, 6 through 9. So we're continuing with the church is like a building. 
One of the grandest buildings in Washington, D.C. is a National Cathedral. It is a huge stone cathedral with glorious architectural lines, magnificent stained glass windows, a lovely altar, and beautiful grounds. When I visited it the first time many years ago, they had already been working on it for many years. It was open to the public, but parts of it were still not finished. We went out to a construction area where we saw stone carvers, some of the last such craftsmen in the world, still chipping away at ornate blocks of granite. Today, the cathedral is still not complete. It will be complete one day, but the task is so huge that a construction life of the cathedral exceeds the life of anyone working on it. Wow. <clears throat> so it is with the universal church. A second picture of the church is that of a spiritual building. The Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians, You are of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God and the Spirit. And that is Ephesians 2, 19-22. We can imagine in our mind's eye that huge cathedral having a name on each of the stones. Figuratively saying or speaking, one of those stones is Bill, one is Susan, one is James, one is Catherine, and glory to God, one is Max. Don't know who they are, but okay, let's move on. <laughs> the church is like a bride. We have all been to weddings, and what has been the focal point of every one of them? The bride. Everything the entire service centers on is the bride. It highlights the bride. It honors the bride. The minister is in place. The groom and his attendants stand at the front. Ladies come down the aisle. Flower girls drop rose petals, <clears throat> heightening the anticipation for the crowning moment appearance of the bride the music swells everyone's head turns and the bride beaming appears at the back all stand she walks down the arm of her father and the entire gathering turns slowly with her passing grandmothers weep quietly mothers cry openly fathers bite lips all for the bride then the vows are given and the bride is united to the groom the two become one that is a destiny as christians Someday in heaven, we will be honored as no bride on earth has ever been honored. To think that Jesus would honor us. It is we who should honor him, and yet a ceremony confirming his marriage to us is conducted in heaven. The apostle John wrote, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him. For the, mess, for, for the marriage... Of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelations 19, 6, 7, and 9. 
Are these not amazing pictures? You are the body of Christ. You are the temple of God and the spirit. You are the bride of Christ. As a body, you have a task. You are gifted. As a building, you belong. You are possessed and indwelt by the living God. You reflect his glory. As a bride, you are honored, you are owned, and you are glorified. By whom? Of all persons, by Jesus. Is this not too much to take in? It is Cinderella all over again. A handsome prince sees a peasant girl who is in bondage to evil. The prince subdues the power of evil marries Cinderella and takes her to his castle to live happily ever after. We are all Cinderella. No matter how hard this life on earth might be for you, take hope. One day you will live in a palace with the king of heaven. Okay, so I have the church is universal, the church is local, then our conclusion, and then we're moving on to chapter 19. So the church is universal. People can become understandably confused about what the church is. Like me, some people are misled into assuming that the church is a building or an organization rather than a collection of people. In the original language of the New Testament, however, the Greek word for church helps us clarify our understanding. Ecclesia, translated church, means an assembly or a group called together for a meeting. For instance, in Acts 19, the town clerk of the city, Ephesus, was concerned that a riot was going to break out over the Apostle Paul's preaching. He urged his fellow citizens who had gathered to discuss the matter to remain calm and file legal charges against Paul rather than resort to violence. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. That was in verse 41. The word assembly is ecclesias, ecclesia. The word later came to be used of Christians people who have been called together spiritually to follow Jesus. In the Bible, the church never means a building where people meet, but rather refers to the people themselves. The people who are part of the universal church are those who have received Jesus Christ as their personal savior. Earthly membership in a local congregation, however, is no guarantee of being a part of the spiritual universal church. Someone has said that going into a church building doesn't make you a Christian any more than going into a garage makes you a car or going into a barn makes you a cow. It is not what happens on the outside that matters, but what happens on the inside. Okay, that's why the Bible says when you um, accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, you become a new creation. Okay, so that's some inside work that needs to be done. Okay, it's not the outside. People think they can go to church and you know, I'm a Christian. 
Have you done your work? Have you worked on your inside? Because uh, our father, he looks at our heart. Man looks at the outer appearance. Okay? So, the church is local. And then we got our conclusion. A local church is a group of believers who agree together to pursue the ideals of the universal church. A local church meets regularly. If a group of people are actually to be a church, they must gather regularly. Hebrews 10, 24-25 says, Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of others together, as is the manner of some. The gathered church is commissioned to worship God, to take the message of the gospel to the entire unsaved world, and to make mature, M-A-T-U-R-E, disciples of those who are converted. Okay? Matthew 28, 18 through 20. A local church has qualified leaders. Pastors are key people in the life of a church necessary to equip the saints for the work of ministry and the spiritual growth of the congregation. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. In addition, elders are to be selected to give spiritual oversight to the congregation and to shepherd them. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Finally, deacons are to look after the physical needs of the congregation. Acts 6, 1 through 6, 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13. All these people must meet the qualifications set down in these passages. Where are those passages? The passages I just shared. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, and uh, Acts 6, 1 through 6, 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13. Okay, so our conclusion is this. Too many of us have too small a picture of the church. All local churches have their failings because they are made up of in imperfect people yet we all belong to the church if we belong to jesus we have to belong to jesus okay if our membership were dependent on the value of our personal involvement many of us would be defrocked it was the church that bled and died to keep the message of salvation alive and we have churches in america today because other Christians gave themselves in life and death to protecting it. Because we have watered down the church to the level of our own commitment and expectations, the church may appear weak and misguided. But when we see the church for what it really is, we ought to lower our heads in humility. If we allow Jesus to function as the head of the church, we see a powerful, dynamic, and visionary entity against which the gates of hell would never prevail, built by the saints of old whose shoes are bigger than ours. Okay? So, let me share. Think about it. If you don't believe in the ministry of the church, you are likely to try to get by, by in life without going to church for help. You will not realize the importance of baptism, the Lord's Supper, and church discipline. You will contribute to a weak church and to a weak personal Christian walk. Okay? And there's three questions that they want that this chapter asks you. 
The first question, before you read this chapter, if someone had asked you where the church was, what would you have answered? And most of us would have probably said a building that we go to on Sundays and during the week for Bible studies. Excuse me, most churches is for either Tuesday, Wednesdays, or Thursdays. Okay? Number two, if you could wave a magic wand that make a local church be exactly what you want it to be, what would it be like? How it is in the Bible. That's how it's supposed to be. Um, just my opinion. Uh, number three, how healthy would your church be if every person in attendance were just like you? Mm. Uh, um, always seeking out knowledge because I'm always seeking more knowledge. I, I, I'm a book nerd. I have too many books. Um, you know, because the Bible says that we are to study to show ourselves approved. So I am always trying to gain more knowledge and understanding. Um, and that's what I feel is important as a Christian because none of us are going to know it all. Okay. We're never going to know it all. That's why we should be around like-minded people who are constantly learning and teaching and, um, helping others, you know, cause that's how, we get to be on the same page. If we, when we learn something, we share it with someone else, or we talk about it because you know everything that we read is not going to be the truth. So that's why you have to read your Bible too. Okay. Um, the scripture to memorize in this chapter is Hebrews ten, twenty four through twenty five. In the Lord, I'm sorry, the, the Lord, the prayer is, dear Lord, thank you that you have created the church. That I can be a part of it, not only spiritually, but practically in a local church. Bless your church and help me to be a helpful member of the body. Amen. Okay, that was chapter 18. I told you we're doing 18, 19, and 20. So in chapter 19, the title is, What is the church supposed to do? Okay, and it gives us seven bullet points. The church must instruct. The church must fellowship, the church must minister, the church must worship, the church must baptize, the church must observe the Lord's Supper, and the church must exercise discipline. Okay, so let's get this in now. The church must instruct. Perhaps you've done it, you've never done anything that bad, but we all struggle with getting enough knowledge and then retaining it. And where is it any more difficult than in learning the Bible? Truth is foundational to Christianity. Jesus said, "You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free." John 8:32. A mindless, contentless faith is not sufficient. Everything we do must be rooted in the truth. Without the foundation of biblical instruction, Christians individually will not mature spiritually, and neither will the church corporately. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17 If this is true, then the church must instruct its people in the truth. And we see that the first church did. <clears throat> okay? The church must fellowship. The Christians in the first church, as described in Acts 2, continued in fellowship. They were together. They took care of each other. 
whenever anyone had a need. They continued with one accord. They broke bread from house to house. They lived as part of each other's lives. In America, we are becoming more and more isolated. In the not-too-distant past, our houses had front porches where people sat and visited when they had time. Now we have back patios with fences around them. We used to leave our doors unlocked. Now we barricade ourselves behind iron bars and security systems. We used to visit with others when we had the chance. Now we turn on the television and watch it by ourselves. Our culture cuts us off from one another. It affects even those in the church. We no longer have the normal communal life that used to be a part of American culture. True, there are unpleasant and even dangerous people out there who keep us from returning to the old days. But we have developed a living pattern of isolation that not only protects us from dangerous people, but also cuts us off from the very people we need in order to have, a, have and live a balanced and healthy life. The image of a body as well chosen by Jesus to picture the collection of Christians called the church. A body has many different members very unlike each other, yet when they fit together, they form a whole that works quite well. A Christian was never intended to function alone spiritually any more than an eye, ear, or hand was intended to function alone physically. Christians are created by God to be healthy only as they are in a good relationship with other Christians. So if a church is going to function normally and have healthy members, it must encourage, promote, and champion fellowship. Okay. The church must minister. The Holy Spirit had done some remarkable things among the first Christians in Jerusalem. And thousands of people believed the powerful message preached by Peter on the day of Pentecost. These Christians then ministered to one another, fellowshipping, breaking bread together, and dividing possessions to meet one another's needs. But in addition to all that, they reached out to those who had not yet heard. They continued to visit the temple, presumably telling others about their experience, since the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Verse 47. Okay, where they didn't give a scripture, but they said verse 47. Okay. Oh, Acts 2, verse 47. There we go. Okay. Of course, the church is given much more complete instructions later on in the New Testament regarding its ministry. The Apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the Galatians, As we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Galatians 6.10 We minister to one another and we minister to those who are not of the faith. This is a pattern we see in the first church. Okay, the church must worship. The Apostle Luke wrote that the first Christians were continually devoting themselves to the Apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, verse, 20, first, I'm sorry, verse 42. Then he mentioned that everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, verse 43, excuse me, and that they were praising God, verse 47. These things are at the heart of corporate worship. The phrase continually devoting themselves suggests simple, I'm sorry, single-minded faithfulness. 
when these first Christians met for worship, they were serious about it. The phrase keep, or sorry, kept feeling a sense of awe could be translated fear came upon every soul. It does not mean fear, the sense of being frightened of someone. Rather, it means awe of reverence or deep respect. These people had been deeply impressed with the presence of God and his work in the midst. It showed. Okay, the church must baptize. Baptism as a symbol so <laughs> I can't read. Symbolic act in which Christians <laughs> proclaim their belief in Jesus' death and resurrection and enter into a full relationship of, of obedience to God. The physical act of baptism is the sprinkling, pouring, or immersing, complete submerging, of a person in water. It is a simple gesture, yet once we understand it, it has deep and profound meaning. God intended it to be a sign of inward cleansing of sin, Acts twenty two sixteen, and a sign of receiving spiritual life, Titus 3, 5. Immersion or yeah, immersion in water symbolizes death, being buried in the water, and resurrection coming back up out of the water. It is symbolic of our union with Christ, much as a union of a husband and wife in marriage, where the two become one. In his death, burial, and resurrection, Romans six, three through seven, Colossians two, eleven through twelve, baptism is a fundamental responsibility of the local church. Okay. The church must observe the Lord's Supper. And then we have the church must exercise discipline. Okay. The Lord's Supper is a ceremonial meal of bread and the fruit of the vine. Commemorating the death of Jesus for our sins and celebrating his new covenant with us. The central passage of scripture Dealing with the Lord's Supper is 1 Corinthians 11, 23-26, which tells us the following. 1. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. 2. It is to be observed in the church until he returns to earth. 3. It is to be a perpetual remembrance of his sacrifice. 4. It symbolizes the new covenant he established with us to grant us forgiveness of sin and eternal salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? Um, what is this? Yeah, I'm not going to use that or share that. Um, the church must exercise discipline. Scripture teaches that churches are not to ignore the flagrant sins of its people, but are to take biblical steps to deal with them. Um... Okay, so there's a bunch of scriptures. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 13. 2 Corinthians 2, 5 through 11. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 and 14 through 15. Titus 1, 10 through 14. And also Titus 3, 9 through 11. This discipline should occur in an overall ministry of, of nurture and accountability. Uh, Matthew 28, 20, John 21, 15 through 17, 2 Timothy 2, 14 through 26, and Hebrews 13, 17. The discipline 
may be anywhere from personal admonishment to exclusion from the Lord's Supper to excommunication from the church. Um, sins that are public should be publicly corrected in the church's presence. Galatians 2, 11 through 14. 1 Timothy 5, 20. Private sins should be dealt with privately in hopes that it will not be necessary to act for the church public discipline. Matthew 18, 15 through 17. And the purpose of all discipline is to encourage repentance when the church then restores the offender to fellowship again. Okay. <clears throat> so, our conclusion is certainly the brief description of the events of the first church do not give us a complete picture of what the church today should do. But it does give us a fundamental picture. If this was their pattern in the earliest days, we might do more today, but we ought not to do less. Okay, so think about this. If you don't believe in the ministry of the church, you are likely to try to get by in life without going to the church for help. You will not realize the importance of baptism, the Lord's Supper, and the church discipline. You will contribute to a weak church and to a weak personal Christian. Okay. Let me ask you, how committed are you to learning the Bible? How do you think your life is impacted by your Bible knowledge? How do you think you could profit more from relationships with other Christians? Have you been baptized and do you observe the Lord's Supper? Okay, so our scripture to memorize for chapter 19 is Acts 2, 42. The prayer is, Dear Lord, thank you for the church, for the wonderful impact it has on me, on those I care about, and on the world. Bless your church with vital success and make me a helpful part. Amen. Okay, chapter 20, and we are done for today. Chapter 20 is what can lead, no, sorry, who can lead the church. And our chapter at a glance is a church must be governed. The church must have pastor teachers. The church must have elders and deacons. And the leaders of the church must be spiritually mature. Okay, the church must be governed. Over the years, three basic forms of a church government have been developed. Um, yeah, uh, what's that? It's Escopilidian. Pronounce that word. I want to say Episcopalian. Oh, that's it. Episcopalian government is a. Oh, y'all forgive me. Um, is a is a system of governing and decision making in the church in which the denominational leaders are the primary authority. Okay, Presbyterian, I got that one on the first try. Government is a represent, represent, blah, representative system of governing and decision-making in the church in which a board of elders is a primary authority. Congregational government is a democratic system of governing and decision making in the church in which the congregation as a whole is a primary authority. Ooh, that's something I did not know. You see this? I, I learned something myself today. Okay, Jesus, thank you. Adherence of each one of these systems 
each one of these three systems of government can appeal to scripture to support their position. And if you read only the argument for one form of government, you will be convinced that that is right. But if you read more than one, you may not be sure. Each form seeks to have biblical validation and some strengths and weaknesses. Ooh, okay. The church must have pastors and teachers. Okay. Now, I'm not going to say nothing right now, but I know the Bible says that uh, it's supposed to be a fivefold, but we just going to go with the book right now that we're reading. Uh, it says, in the early days of our country, the minister was often the best educated person in town. He was the primary source of information, not only about the Bible, but about the world. People gathered in church on Sunday morning with the same sense of expectation that we might turn on the news on television or open up the newspaper or news magazine. Okay. Knowledge was power, and since the minister had much of the knowledge, he also had much of the power. <clears throat> Today, however, knowledge is largely available to all who want it. There are people in every congregation who may know more about a given subject than the pastor. What you said? Okay. Nevertheless, a pastor has a crucial role in the church, and those in the church are spiritually dependent on his ministry. In order to pastor, a man must meet two criteria. He must possess a spiritual gift of pastor-teacher, and he must meet the spiritual quali qualifications of an elder established in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, and Titus 1, 5 through 9, which we will look at later in the chapter. If he possesses these two qualifications, he can be used by God to pastor a church regardless of what everyone else in the congregation knows. Church leadership is essentially spiritual leadership by one who is divinely gifted for the task. Okay. The ministry of pastor-teacher is not clearly articulated in Scripture. In fact, the only use of the term is found in Ephesians 4, verse 11. The word pastor means shepherd, and the word is used as shepherd elsewhere in the New Testament. The primary task of the pastor, in addition to the general responsibilities of shepherding the flock, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, Ephesians 4.12. Other than that general description, the function of the ministry is not described or defined. Not all are in agreement on the term pastor-teacher. Ephesians 4.11 reads, okay, that's where I was getting at. So it, they put it in here, okay now. Ephesians 4.11 reads, He gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Some people believe there are five positions described in this passage. However, 
there are two words in Greek translated in, what is that? Kai, K-A-I-N-D-D-E. Inserting those words in their proper place and also including the definite article that is in the Greek. This passage reads, He gave some of the apostles, Kai, some as the prophets, Kai, if I'm reading that right, some as the evangelists, Kai, some as the pastors, the teachers. I don't know what that means. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. In that word, those words translated mean and. Okay, so what are they talking about? Never mind. Let's just keep reading. These suggest strongly that a pastor and teacher should be connected, referring to one person. Okay. Seen this way. <laughs> There is no such thing as a pastor. Okay. There is only a pastor teacher. Though for cultural reasons, there is no problem with calling a person a pastor rather than the more cumbersome pastor teacher. <laughs> okay. I don't know why that's so funny to me. Okay. The church must have elders. And then we're going to go on to the leaders of the church must be spiritually mature. And then we got our conclusion, and then we're done with chapter 20. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, the church must have elders and deacons. The word for elder means to shepherd the congregation, 1 Peter 5, 2, to oversee its affairs, to preach and teach, 1 Timothy 5, 17, and to guard the moral purity of the congregation, Titus 1, 9. An elder, just as a pastor teacher... <laughs> It should also meet the spiritual maturity gut qualifications established in First Timothy three one through seven and Titus one five through nine. A deacon's task is not as clearly understood from Scripture as an elder. The word for deacon means to serve, and a major use of the word for deacon has to do with waiting on tables. <laughs> what? So whatever a deacon is to do, it falls within the general category of serving. It is possible that the ministry of deacons was first seen in Acts 6, 1-6, through 6, when widows and orphans were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the church was instructed to choose men full of wisdom and of Holy Spirit, and they were to oversee the proper distribution of food, while the apostles devoted themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Whether or not deacons are supposed to be functioning in every church is not clear, but if a church chooses to have deacons, they must be spiritually mature. Their qualifications are clearly spelled out in 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13. Okay, the last one. The leaders of the church must be spiritually mature. While no mention is made of the spiritual maturity qualifications of a pastor teacher, it seems that if an elder must be spiritually mature, it would be just as important for a pastor to be spiritually mature. In fact, the wording of 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, above reproach, suggests that these marks of maturity are for everyone in the church to strive toward, not just elders. While some of the traits refer to abilities such as able to teach, 
in all the moral qualifications, we are equally to strive for them. It is just that in order to be an elder, a person must meet the qualifications. Therefore, we can say that all three positions of leadership in the church must meet the qualifications of an elder to encompass all three positions in a way that does not get too cumbersome verbally. I will refer to these three spiritual leadership ministries as holding a spiritual office in the church. To get a picture of a spiritually mature person, we can merge the two lists in Timothy and Titus, which are very similar but not identical. The actual terms used vary depending on which translation of the Bible is used. For our purposes, we will use the New American Standard Bible because there is overlap between the words in the two lists and similarities of meaning among several words. We will be examining only 20 of the characteristics listed in the two passages. Well, got it. Okay. <laughs> One through 20. Uh, one, above reproach, this qualification is generally regarded as a seminary qualification with the remaining qualifications being a description of what it means to be above reproach. It means that you have a good reputation because you have no major character faults. Husband of one wife, to be faithful to one's wife in thought, word, and deed. Number three, temperate, to be self-controlled and moderate in attitude and actions. Number four, prudent, to be skilled in managing practical affairs. Number five, respectable, to be proper in behavior. Number six, hospitable, to be kind to strangers. Number seven, able to teach to be qualified by virtue of one's life, knowledge, and ability to communicate, to teach others. Number eight, not addicted to wine, not to drink alcoholic beverages habitually or compulsively. Number nine, not strong-willed, not to be demanding of your own way. Number 10, not quick-tempered, to control your anger and express anger only at the things that anger God. Number 11, not pugnacious. Don't know what that means, but it means not to be a fighter, either verbally or physically. Number 12, gentle, to treat others with care so as to soothe and not to hurt. Number 13, unconscientious, not to be quarrelsome or argumentative. Okay. Number 14, free from the love of money, not to want money more than you want the will of God. Okay. Okay, so lots of people need to know that. Number 15, one who manages his own household well to lead one's family with care and diligence. Number 16, not a new convert to be of sufficient spiritual age. Number 17, love what is good to choose good rather than evil. Number 18, just to give equal weight to all people and actions. Uh, just, just, I'm sorry. 19, uh, devout to earnestly pursue one's faith. And number 20, thank you, Jesus. Self-controlled to be personally disciplined in all things. Lord, Lord, Lord. Okay, let me read this conclusion. 
we have taken a number of pages just to say one thing. Spiritual leaders in the church must be spiritually mature. Water seeks its own level. A congregation will rise no higher as a whole than its leadership. If the leadership is shallow and hypocritical, most mature people would not be willing to stay there. They will move on. The only people who will stay under that kind of leadership are people who are willing to put up with shallowness and hypocrisy. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> Paul did the church a great favor by spelling out in detail what a spiritual leader must be like. Those of us who lead must measure ourselves by that standard and be willing to step aside, perhaps just temporarily until our lives are a basic not perfect reflection of these character qualities. Those of us who follow must require, wait, those of us who follow must require that our leaders manifest these qualities. Okay. If they do not, we must put ourselves under the spiritual leadership of those who do. Okay. So let me go back and short, share to think about it. So think about it. If we don't believe what the Bible says about church leaders, a church might be controlled by rampant individualism where there is little cooperation and everyone is doing what is right in his own eyes. Or a church might be controlled by a single domineering pastor. Ooh. A church must be governed by an elder, board, or pastor who do not meet the qualifications thus stunting the growth of the entire congregation at best and not leading to moral failure at worst. Ooh. Ooh, okay. I'm going to just keep on reading. Let me ask you, number one, does your church take the need for spiritually mature leadership seriously? What has been the result? Ooh. Number two, who are the most effective leaders in your church? What do you think? has made them effective and number three what qualities of an elder are strongest in your life which are weakest what can you do to strengthen your weaknesses and use your strengths okay so the scripture to memorize is ephesians 4 11 through 12 and the prayer is dear lord thank you that you have designed for church leaders to reflect your character and to lead us as you would. Help me to reflect those characteristics in my life. Amen. Okay, so I have shared with you chapters 18, chapters 19, and chapter 20. And all three of those chapters deal with the church. We found out what is the church according to the Bible. What is the church supposed to do according to the Bible? And who can lead the church according to the Bible, okay? So, again, this is Discipleship 101. I have been sharing out of the book, New Christian's Handbook, Everything Believers Need to Know. The author's name is Max Anders, A-N-D-E-R-S, if anybody wants to get this book. I found this book on ChristianBook.com. Okay, and this book has 36 chapters. I'll just share it with you up until chapter 20. So we have 16 
more chapters to go. And I'm, I'm giving them to you and, um, you know, as they, if the chapters go together, like for the church, that was three chapters. So I said, okay, I might as well do all of them together. So as they um, fit together, I will give them to you like that. But if there is uh, one that doesn't fit the next, then it'll be single ones. So we'll, we'll get it done. 16 more chapters. We'll see how that goes. But I want to thank you guys for listening. Um, this week I made um, 8,000 um, listens on my podcast. So I am just thankful to you guys for continuing to listen. That's that's a big number for me, uh, being an introvert. <laughs> I call myself an introvert because that's who I am. I'm trying to get out of that. Um, but that's who I was born as. That's who God, you know, created me to be. I've always been that way. Um, you know, never been an extrovert. Never been an extrovert. I'm just like, Ugh. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know how to be an extrovert. I've always been this way. Um, but one thing I am, I am obedient to the call of my life. So when, uh, you know, it came to me to do this podcast and to start it, I was like, oh, okay. Um, I did it. I'm doing it. <laughs> so, and you guys are listening. You guys continue to click on that link. Um, and if you subscribe and you always get that message that there's a new episode there and you go there and click on it and you listen. So thank you. Um, I hope I'm sharing some stuff that you guys are, you know, taking in. Um, I'm learning some new stuff, uh, reading this book, you know, as you saw today, um, I learned about the three, um, I guess governments are uh, within the church bodies. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go research some more of that. Because I'm like, okay, I need to learn upon this thing. You know, because we are to study to show ourselves approved. If we are Christians, we say that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. And, you know, we are one with him. We have to know what we're, you know, what we're walking with, who we're walking with. And, you know, what that, excuse me, what that walk looks like. So you have to do that. Um, but yes, thank you for listening, everybody. Um, and, and if you don't know, I, um, finished two books that I have been working on one for almost over a year. It's never taken me that long to write a book. Um, but this one was, um, very hard for me to write. Anytime I have to share anything like before, when I first became a writer, you know, I was like, okay, get this stuff out. People's, you know, there's people that you need to uh, get it out there for you know because you know some 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 situations we go to pe other people can relate to it and you know they're looking for ways to get out of that so you know you want to share your testimonies with people but this particular book took me the longest time to write and I finally got it done okay and it is called um uh, it's actually, I actually did it as a series. I have, I think, three books in this series. And it's a single woman's chronicles. Um, the woman at the will, it is time to heal. I believe that's the title of that book. Um, give me one second. Do, 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 do. Where are you at? Where are you at? There we go. Yes. Okay. The single woman's chronicles. The woman at the will is time to heal. And it's available on Amazon.com. <clears throat> okay. Um, and also, I have written another book. 
uh, it's titled Church Hurt from the Pews to the Pulpit. Okay, both of these books are available on Amazon.com. They are both $10 a piece. If you have Amazon Prime, delivery is free. Okay, um, yeah, so they're done. I feel like I accomplished something. <laughs> you know, I got some stuff out. And it's always good to release, you know, because that 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 loosens the grip of the enemy on your life. You know, anytime you hold stuff in, it's like, you know, he has something that he's hanging over your head. Like, yeah, I got you. No, you ain't. You ain't got me no more. That, that. Got it out. You know, there's nothing that you got from over my head no more. You know, they, you know, the enemy, he likes to hold things over your head and like, you know, keep you in bondage. No, we're not doing that. So... If you guys are interested, those books are out there. Amazon.com, uh, 10 bucks. Um, what else? What else? What else? Um, website www.kingdomgales.com. Um, I have a blog over there. Uh, I got a Facebook group, uh, Kingdom Gales Ministries. You can find me on the social media, which is Instagram, Kingdom Gales. Twitter, Kingdom Gals, and just continue to look out for the next podcast because we're going to get through this. You know, discipleship is um, important. You know, when I became a new Christian early on, um, I didn't know a lot. I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing. I didn't know, um, you know, what I was supposed to be doing when I went to church. You know, it's like, I do I just come here on Sundays and then Wednesdays? And okay, what do I do after that? You know, you got to pray. Um, you gotta read your Bible. Um, you should fellowship with others. You want to be around like-minded people. You, you know, I had to figure out that I couldn't hang around the same people that I was before I became a Christian. I couldn't hang around with them because our like, our minds are not the same. You know, we're not like-minded anymore. We're not equally yoked. You know, because if you are trying to be different and then you're hanging around the same other people, they're gonna pull you back into that old lifestyle. You don't want to do that. So. Discipleship 101, okay? Um, we're 20 chapters in, 20 chapters in. So this is the first episode that you're listening to. Go on back and listen to those other, other uh, chapters. Go on back and listen to the other podcasts. You know, I can't remember all the stuff that I've shared on here thus far, um, but I've been doing this since, um, was it 2019? So yeah, this makes two years that I've been doing this being obedient um so again thank you thank you thank you uh this is a single bomb of purpose uh my books are under my uh government name <laughs> tamara mccarthy um and this podcast is brought to you by my ministry kingdom gales ministries um and just thank you thank you thank you thank you and after this book i got a lot more stuff to share with you guys so we gonna get it in, y'all. We gonna continue this path um, to living right, okay? So I will talk to you guys next time. You have a awesome evening. Um, be blessed. Stay safe. Keep the mask on, and let's go ahead and get twenty twenty one on the books, okay? Talk to y'all later. <music>